0: Well, as you are returning to your seats, at this time the kids uh, can be released for Kids Connection. And as I was uh, as I was coming to to church this morning, I, I just I, I felt the air. It was like one of those mornings. I'm not used to these kinds of mornings where you actually can feel the air, and I was thinking. As long as it doesn't get hot, this isn't so bad, but uh, it's just, like, sweltering. Oh. Right? Right? I mean, wear shorts. are shorts. There you go. Okay. Thanks, Dwight. But I, I was thinking, man, like, someday, this is, I, I think, this is going to be, like, what the glory of the Lord is. Like, you're just going to be able to, like, feel it. It's like, but it, it's going to be something that's going to energize you. It's not going to sap your energy. So, I think that's, that's like, the hope. So... Uh, but uh, well, Easter is coming. So April 16th is Easter Sunday. And, you know, like every week when we gather together, like every week should be kind of our Easter celebration because we're, we're gathered on the first day of the week because Jesus rose from the dead. But Easter is like that one Sunday a year where we just give it like that extra punch and say, yes, Jesus is alive. And it's a Sunday where, where people that like say, oh, I know I should be in church, like actually show up. And I want us to, as a church, like be be ready for that, to welcome people. And like, man, we are really glad to celebrate Jesus together. And so I want you to circle April 8th on your calendars. It's two Saturdays before Easter. We want to do, just come together and and do like a a spruce up of the the church grounds to kind of get ready for Easter. Get ourselves ready, get the church building ready for Easter. We're going to spread some uh, bark mulch in the flower beds, just do some sweeping up, doing some uh just some, some cleaning of some areas that are just aren't we're not able to to keep up with every week. If you'd come and help us out we're going to do it 9 to noon and then we're just going to close our time just by coming together and just praying together here in the uh, in the sanctuary just you know praying for Easter Sunday and, and God uh, to just especially um be at work in us uh, as a church on that day. So it's April 8th, 9 to noon, bring cleaning rags. Rooms, uh, yard rakes, whatever, we'll, uh, we'll come together and do a, a, a blitz together on the church grounds. Well, I uh, appreciated us being able to read together uh, our passage this morning. As We've already read it, but I want to invite you at this time to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 Uh, And we read verses 1 through 6, and something happened this week which hasn't uh, happened to me in a long time. I I gave the the outline to Jody to print it in your bulletin early in my study, and then I just kept uncovering so much. I said, I'm not going to be able to get it all in in one message. So we're actually only going to do half of it today, and then we're going to save the second half for next week. Uh, This is a a big turn in the, the letter of Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 begins with the words, I therefore, that, that Paul has been writing to us three chapters of instruction uh, of saying, this is what God has done for you. This is the work that God has done to bring new life to you, therefore, therefore. That there is something that comes out of this. That, that the seeds have been planted. Now what's the fruit that is going to spring up from that? And I've titled this message then. The gospel two-step. That there is a. Uh, the idea that, that the gospel creates a certain kind of walk. That the Christian life is a walk. And, and that's what it says for us even in verse 1. I urge you to Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So like walking, you know, walking is really basic. There's just basic steps of just putting one foot in front of the other. And you don't even think about it. It's just natural. But there, there's always a beginning, you, whether it's a little step forward or whether it's a, a big step forward. There's always one step forward. But if you really want to make progress, you can't keep stepping with the same foot. That There has to be a rhythm to where there's one foot being put in front of the other. And so what, what Paul is going to give us in these first six verses are these, these walks, one foot in front of the other. There's the spirit-filled duty, which is going forward with one foot, and then that comes with the other foot coming forward uh, of God-centered doctrine. And this week, we're, we're just going to look at that, that first step and of the, this, this spirit-filled, fueled duty. But, but I, I want you to... to, to Pay attention to to how Paul begins this call. He's going to urge us to walk. He's going to urge us to take these steps in the Christian life. To go on this rhythm of walking. But it's it's really empowered by the gospel. Because look what Paul says there in chapter 4 verse 1. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called so important that we understand the gospel basis of the walk of following Jesus. You know, when Paul talks about this walk, he's talking about a walk that is worthy of a calling. And what is the calling here? When when the New Testament talks about calling, there's there's two ways that it talks about calling. There's this general call that is made to everybody. Jesus says, come to me. You know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. There's this general call that is made to to the whole world. But there is this very specific call that God makes to individuals. That God calls people by name. And this is the call that we are talked about, is being talked about here, that this is written to believers who have been called by God. Listen to how uh, Paul writes about this call in, in other places, Romans chapter 8, verse 30. He says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This call is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter talks about this call in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 when he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, if you flip back into the book of Ephesians to chapter 2 verse 1. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That we were dead, but now we have been made alive spiritually. And it does no good to tell a dead person to walk. That in order for a dead person to walk, that person has to be made alive. Lazarus was in the tomb four days, stinking. Rotting until Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come out. When Jesus called his name, Lazarus was made alive. And in the same way, God is still calling people by name. People who are dead in sin and making them alive. And so the question this morning we have to answer first of all is are you called? Have you been called by God? Now, you might say, "Uh, how do you know? I've never heard God's actual voice. How how do you know if you've been called by God? Well, the Bible says it's, it's really very simple. That God calls people who say yes to some very specific questions. Have you acknowledged that God is the standard by which all people are measured? Have you acknowledged that your life is to be measured by God's standard and not by your own and not by anybody else's? Have you realized that your own life falls short of God's perfect standard? Have you realized that your only hope of being made right with God is found in the death of Jesus Christ in your place? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and that he offers forgiveness to all who call to him and gives them the gift of eternal life? Do you have the assurance that by believing in Jesus, God has forgiven your sins, he's given you eternal life, and that you have his spirit living in you? If you can answer yes to these questions, you can know God has called you. I'm not asking, have you been called by a preacher to walk down an aisle? Or have you been called by a friend or a family member to pray a prayer? I'm asking you, has God called you? And if you're here this morning and you're not sure, I want to invite you after the service, I want to talk with you. And I want to make sure that, that you can know for sure that God has called you. See, I, I don't want to take this lightly. That this command that Paul gives us here to walk is a command that, that you will not be able to to fulfill, You will not be able to walk in a, in a manner that, that is worthy unless you know for a fact that God has called you and you have the assurance of that. You see, religion, every religion in the world will tell you to walk a certain path. Every religion in the world will say, if you walk this path, you'll find God. If you walk this path, then, then God will give you happiness. Christianity is different. Because the gospel says that you don't find God. God finds you and saves you in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's only those who have been rescued by God that are able to walk the path. See This this is a call of God to walk in response to his work in us. See, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10. It's very clear for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. And so it's, it's very clear. That it's grace that precedes the walking. That it's receiving of God's grace that produces the works. It's receiving of God's grace that puts us on the path to walk. And so, we want to look at this walk in two basic steps. This walk is going to be the walk through the rest of the letter of Ephesians. But there's two parts to it. We have it. The, the first part we're looking at this week and the second part we're saving for next week. The first part is spirit-filled, fueled duty. That this walk in a manner worthy of our calling is a walk that is fueled by the Holy Spirit. We, we see the Spirit talked about at the end of verse 3. Where we're, we're going to look at here again in a few minutes this unity of the Spirit. But this is also coming right after the prayer at the end of chapter 3. And the prayer at the end of chapter 3, Paul had prayed that they would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. So if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of what you've received from God, you're going to have to have power from the Holy Spirit. This is not a matter of, well, okay, God did that for me. Now, I guess these are the duties that I have to fulfill for him. No, God is meeting us to fill us with power that we would now be able to walk in these duties that he's called us to. There's three virtues, and then there's two actions. The three virtues that we uh, begin in verse 2. The first virtue that we see in verse 2 is humility. Humility is a quality that's rarely prized in the world. That that Anytime somebody is praised for their humility, it's really just about trying to soothe the pride of everyone else. That we want celebrities to be humble when they receive their accolades, but it's just really to say that, well, I'd do the same thing if I had done if I'd won that. That is it, that there's a false humility in the world. True humility is, is rarely prized. That it's trash talking on the basketball court, that is the mark of a player. That there is self promotion uh, that that just permeates uh, our culture. Humility is is not something that's prized. In the ancient literature, uh, this word that that Paul uses for humility is is very hard to find. Usually, whenever it occurs, it's being being used to describe slaves and people in the culture who just were not seen as valuable. So this is something that's rarely been prized uh, in the human race. The, The natural bent of the human heart is pride, and the Bible overwhelmingly condemns pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, in, in James chapter 4, verse 6, that pride is contrasted with God's grace. Listen to this. But he gives more grace, therefore it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, pride is really thinking that you have something to prove to God. However, and this this is, where, this is why the gospel just completely undoes pride, because the gospel says you, you don't have anything that you need to prove to God, because the gospel message is that Jesus lived the life. That you should have lived. And Jesus died the death. That you should have died. And so when you, when you understand. The work of Jesus Christ. In your behalf. Your need for him. And his meeting of your need. That is really what puts you on the path. To humility. C.S. Lewis made this observation. That the humility. Is not loathing yourself. Instead. Humility is really loving your neighbor as yourself. Humility is that that rare ability to be able to celebrate the accomplishment of somebody else as if you had done the accomplishment yourself. I mean, imagine, this is March Madness tournament right now, and, and there are these epic moments in the college basketball tournament where one player makes this unbelievable shot at the buzzer and wins the game. Humility is being able to be a member of the losing team and be just as amazed at the, sh- the winning shot as if you'd made it yourself. Sound impossible? It's difficult. That is the work of the Holy Spirit to create humility. And where it begins is simply saying, I don't got it. As As a matter of fact, Satan loves to destroy humility by as soon as you start being humble, he points out the fact that you're being humble. So the true path to humility is to admit your pride. And that's the first step to developing humility. The second virtue that is characterized by this gospel walk is the virtue of gentleness. It follows humility right there. And, and as a matter of fact, it, it's pretty hard to be gentle without already growing in humility. That gentleness once again shows that, that the walk of the gospel is a reversal of the walk of this world because gentleness is so oftentimes confused in our culture with weakness. And, and yet we remember that, that Jesus himself described himself as gentle. In, in Matthew chapter 11 verse 29 Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus wasn't weak. Jesus was incredibly powerful. He was able to still a storm with simply his word. See, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power that's under control. My son and I were watching this TV show and they were were showing these these different incredible feats. And one of them showed this 13-ton excavator. You know the kind that are just able to tear like trenches in hard clay? This excavator was building with Lego bricks. That's gentleness. The ability of this excavator to grasp the smallest brick and place it on top of another without crushing it. You see uh, gentleness is often associated with physical action, but it applies just as much to the words that we say. Uh, and, and when you, when you look at, at the breadth of gentleness, this is something that it's a challenge for the strongest man, It's also a challenge for the most petite woman. Challenges for for, for men to to bring the power of their physical strength under control. The challenge for women to bring the power of their words under control. That this is a call to all of us to really be a reflection of God. Who has been ultimately gentle with us. Who has not treated us as our sins deserved. See, when, when God was, was talking to the people of Israel, they, they were his, uh, he called them his adulterous people. And yet, what did God say to them? He, in Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, he said, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, that's Israel, and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In the same way, Paul calls us as believers to exhibit gentleness with each other. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Gentleness is words and actions bringing power under control. Third virtue. Humility leading to gentleness, leading to patience. The virtue of patience. Patience is an expression of trust. It's an expression of faith in God. Patience is believing that God has, the, has everything under control and is able to work out all of his purposes in his way at his time. Now, patience is not complacency or passivity. Patience it, is not throwing up your hands and doing nothing. God is active in the world. God is drawing sinners to himself. He's described as doing that with patience. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. God's not doing nothing. God is faithfully working, but is patient toward you, not worship, wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, far from being weak, patience can be incredibly powerful. Proverbs chapter twenty-five, verse fifteen says, "With patience, a ruler can be dis- persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone." There's a power to patience. The sharpest granite boulder is more crushing. Than a glass of water. And yet. Put that boulder in a stream. Where thousands of glasses of water. Pour patiently over it. Over time. And what happens? The boulder cannot overcome. The smoothing power of the water. The patience is a powerful virtue. Now. Without a doubt. Developing patience. Is intimidating. It's like. There's one thing I've heard over and over again, and that is don't pray for patience. But I'll tell you, we're, we're exhorted in Scripture that this is something that we are to pursue. James chapter 5 says, Consider the patience of Job. Okay, when, when I'm thinking of examples of patience, Job is not really the one I want to think about. Do you remember Job's story? Loses everything. And his body just becomes racked with, with, with boils and with pain. And he endures it patiently. But, but why? But, but that's not the end of the story. See, Job doesn't end. Praise the Lord, Job doesn't end at chapter 36. Because Job, the end of Job's story is that he witnesses the power of God coming to him and God vindicates Job and he restores to him more than he ever lost. The way you cultivate patience in your life is to cultivate hope. That's what we're to consider the patience of Job because we know Job's whole story that there is hope that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are now inheritors of all things. That there is a hope for us in Jesus. That when Jesus comes back at His second coming, there is no blessing. There is nothing that He will withhold from us. We cultivate patience by looking forward to what Christ will give to us, and He will give us far more than He ever gave to Job. That we we can be patient because of hope. Remember, a diamond. Is just a patient lump of coal. Patience. Is the fruit of gentleness. And humility. And this is the walk of spirit. Fueled duty. This leads to two actions. The first action. That we see coming out of this. Is bearing with one another. In love. You see it there at the end of verse two. Bearing with one another in love. See. See. Right away, we're reminded of something here. That the Christian walk is not a walk of just you and Jesus. You can't walk the Christian walk without other people. See, one another. It's going to require you getting involved in relationships. Now, the thought of of bearing with people who are opposed to Christ bearing with persecution, bearing with that really like cranky neighbor, that's one thing. But that's not what's being talked about here. It says bearing with one another. One another is other believers. That's here in the church. If we're going to walk faithful of our calling as believers, that means that, that we have to come alongside one another that we have to bear with one another. We have to Come alongside those who are burdened and help carry their burden. You know, that's what is said to us specifically in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. This is exactly what Jesus did for us. The gospel of Matthew records many of Jesus' miracles. Jesus healing people of diseases. But the Bible just doesn't talk about Jesus healing diseases. Jesus poof. He made disease go away. Listen to how Matthew talks about what Jesus did in his healing. Matthew chapter 8 verse 17. Listen to this. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. You know how Jesus was able to heal people? Jesus actually took the diseases upon himself. He entered the pain of people and he took it to the cross. Jesus has borne our burdens. We reflect him by coming alongside other Christians and bearing their burdens as well. You know that that means that as a church, that that we, when we get more effective as a church, we have these three values of gospel, people, and mission, and and the more the gospel has an effect in us, the the more we as people are going to be reflecting Jesus, and the more the gospel works in us, that that we're going to be a people. We're not going to be um, divided lives. We're going to be unified lives, and. And what's going to happen is that we are going to be more effective in our mission. And that means that there's going to be more burdens to bear. That the more effective we get as a church, the more we are going to have to bear with one another in love. See, bearing with somebody else's burden is a way of just expressing love for them. It's seeing that number on your cell phone and not hitting reject because you're afraid of what problem you're going to hear. Yet this is one of the things that gives me such great hope about our church. You see, I have seen already in my time here, this is a church that comes alongside people and, and helps meet physical and emotional needs. This is a church that's done such a great job of supporting people who are, are going through difficult times in their lives. And, and my prayer is that, that this would continue to multiply and that that we would not only continue to meet spirit or physical and emotional needs, but spiritual needs as well and I'll tell you one of the very practical ways that that we can just bear one another's uh, burdens, bear with one another in love is through very practical ministry in this church, like like serving in the nursery and in children's Sunday school, even when you don't have any kids it, that we bear with one another when when you take time to, to call up some, someone who is, is older than you in the church and, or somebody who, that you see sitting alone and just sharing life together, listening to them, praying with them. Bearing with one another in love leads to the final action that we see here. And in many ways, this is kind of like the the crowning jewel uh, of all of these virtues and all of these actions. Look with me at verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Walking worthy of the calling we have received means maintaining unity. Now, this statement we see here in in verse 3, this is kind of the hinge statement of this section. So we're going to be coming back to this next week and looking more at the unity of the Spirit. Right now, here's how I want us to think about this unity of the Spirit that we're called to maintain. It's that that God has been at work in his assembly line and, and he has been assembling this B8 super turbocharged hot rod moving off the line. That's the church. So he has taken Jews and Gentiles and brought them together and created unity that, that we're told in Ephesians chapter two that Jesus by his death put to death the hostility between people. It's rolled off the assembly line. It's complete. God has assembled it. That's his part. And now he's handing the keys to us and we have a part. An eagerness to maintain this magnificent machine it's like this this eagerness to maintain the, the car so that it's, it's running well eagerness to, to maintain that new car smell that's our work this this eagerness has has an intensity to it that it's, it's almost a, a command here be eager get after it this unity that god's created don't let it be destroyed See, this is where all of these virtues uh, come into play. Because think about this. If you're somebody who is, you're proud, you're harsh, that that you don't have time to get involved with other people's messes, you just need to get your stuff together. See, if that's your attitude, you're going to be the kind of person that, that divides the church. And God has a warning for people like this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, it's only those who are humble and gentle and patient that can bear with others in love, those are the ones who are able to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, I heard a, a great story this week. It's a story of a former pastor of this church named Leonard Vogt. And Leonard's vote ha- had this legacy of, of two things. First of all, Leonard loved Jesus. And secondly, Leonard was eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Leonard in, in his ministry here was intentional about working to bring people together to help create reconciliation in re- relationships that have become strained or conflicts that had broken out. As, as we look at at all of these things that, that Paul has called us to this, this step of, of spirit-filled duty, how is this step going to happen? Oh, It's only going to happen as the prayer of chapter 3 gets answered. It makes me want to go back and, and pray this prayer again. That we would be able to take this step. Because we have been filled with the Spirit's power. That Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith. And that we have been filled with the fullness of God. There is a glory to the Son That is so brilliant that you can't actually look at the sun. But when the sun shines through a stained glass window, these fragments of glass, these pieces of glass that have been joined together, reveal a brilliance of the sun. And in our lives, God wants to take these pieces of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit. He wants to bring these multicolored pieces together that the glory of him could shine through it and that our lives would reveal his brilliance. May our walk be worthy of that call. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. I want to pray for Enid M.B. That we would be characterized by humility. That pride would have no place here. I pray that we'd be characterized by gentleness. That the harshness would not be found in our relationships. I want to pray that we would be strengthened to be patient and bear with each other as we walk the challenges of life together and I pray that we would work together to maintain the unity of the